Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we have a very special episode. Each of us has a voice inside that calls us to adventure, and each of us chooses to answer that call in different ways. Some of us find adventure in our backyard, while others choose the entire world as their playground. Today's guest is someone that wanted to feel the world and spent over six and a half years walking across four continents, 14 countries, a handful of islands, and over 20,000 miles. Angela Maxwell is here with me today to share her journey of curiosity and exploration and how she walks the earth. Quoting her website, Angela, a novice adventurer when she began, faced to the incredible odds of surviving the outback in Western Australia, dengue fever in Vietnam, a physical attack in Mongolia, and the sheer challenges of being a solo woman sleeping in a tent wherever she could lay her head for the night. In addition to going all in on adventure, Angela has shared her story all over the world as a speaker, including a powerful TEDx talk and as an author in the book, Wilder Journeys. This is a story that will move you, inspire you, and help you choose courage. Angela, welcome to the campfire. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with you, Scott. Angela, when we first spoke and I was starting to get to know you, one of the things that struck me was that you told me you don't do moderation and that you've learned to embrace being an extremist. So I wonder if we could start, you've taken this over six and a half year journey walking the earth, and I, we're going to get into some of those details, but I'd love to just kind of go back to the beginning and help us understand how one comes to the place of making a decision to walk the earth. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, I love that you start with the moderation piece, uh, because, you know, now being a woman who's 42, I... I think I'm still just understanding what does it mean to embrace these parts of ourselves and, you know, struggled a lot when I was younger of we've got to moderate everything, you know, everything we eat or, you know, how we do things. So ultimately in the very, what we'd say is the very beginning of the past life, just a couple of years ago, things were good. Like oftentimes we wait for a crisis. So it wasn't a crisis as much as this feeling of wanting something just a little bit more. And maybe that has to do with this extremist part of me, but it was like, life was good. Business was good. Relationship was good. But I just felt like I, I wanted a, a little, a little extra sparkle, something there. What's, what's there that I'm missing. And I heard about someone who was walking around the world. It turns out he wasn't actually walking, but it was enough to spark an idea. Now, I think we could talk about ideas and what that means. It might be a different conversation. Like where do ideas come from? but I do think they're linked to a certain calling, right? Like how do we, one day we're just walking around the world and we get this idea. Someone said something, it sparked an inspiration. We watch something, we read something 
And there's like an electricity that's created. We say like a light bulb moment, but something electric happens and then it becomes all consuming. So it, to me, it's almost like that call. So I had the idea, oh, walking around the world sounds like a great idea, a little wild, a little crazy, sounds ridiculous for someone like me, but this became so consuming. I would say it was close to obsession. I had to find out who's done something like this. What women, how did they do it? What men have done it? How did they do it? I was researching, like I was getting paid to work in a lab and research <laughs> and put all these pieces together. And then I said, yes, let's do this. I might regret it if I don't. Angela, I love this so much. And you just spoke to really just like the essence of what, what we love to talk about here on this podcast, which is that call to adventure. And I just heard you talk about it as a light bulb moment. I wonder if you remember that moment. Um, I do. Uh, it, well, it was almost like the seed being, it was the moment the seed was planted. Literally, I was in a, an art class. I heard about someone walking around the world who wasn't, it was actually Albert Spears who in uh, Spandau prison was walking the, the courtyard and was counting his steps as if he was walking around the world. But that's all it took. And I remember leaving that day from the class, walking through town in Oregon, where I was a town in Oregon where I was living, and everything became the world around me. Like the coffee shop became the Taj Mahal, and you know, another building became like a Greek ruin. I mean, there was it was something that sparked so deeply that for the next couple of days I was full in. And then as everyone else, uh, what we tend to do is squash the idea for a little while. So then it's like, oh, that's crazy. I'll just, just let me forget about that. And then over a couple of days and then weeks, it's almost like things keep coming in. I'm looking up something and I see about, you know, Fiona Campbell who walked across Africa and it's like, oh, I can't get away from it. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's just there. And it might be that when we're looking for something, we see it more, but I am a little bit superstitious. And I like that aspect of the spirit speaking to us, that it was almost like keep staying on this path of, of that calling without knowing what it looks like. When you were feeling this wanting, right? And I guess it's part of the call to adventure. When you're feeling that wanting, like, were there any anticipations or even I hate to use the word expectations, but anything that you were kind of hoping for as part of that journey? Well, it's interesting because as you say, call to adventure, what comes up in my mind is a call to risk. <laughs> mm. I mean, meaning I think there's so much in our lives that we are experiencing as an adventure, right? Like a woman might say, oh, motherhood is such an adventure. Being married yeah. is such an adventure. Yeah. Travel is an adventure. But there was something about wanting to step out of the bounds of this kind of curated experience. And so I think there was an expectation in a way or a longing that it was kind of getting out into the world to feel it, not just see it. It wasn't like I needed to check off countries to go visit. I wanted to walk through these places, like connecting with the people, connecting with the land. And I liked having no idea what that could look like, but it had a lot of risk. And, and I, I think that because I, 
identify as a bit of an extremist, I'm like, all in, let's go. I have no clue exactly where I'm going to go and what this is going to lead me to. Yeah. So I'm now I'm wondering, like, before this call to adventure, what life was like for you, even like kind of growing up and sort of leading up to this point, was there a lack of risk taking that kind of pushed you over the edge to say, like, I'm ready to go take some risk? What, what was early life like for you? Yeah. I mean, I, there wasn't a lot of travel in my life as a kid and with my family, I had two military parents, but I did long for it as a child. I like, I'm an introvert, but I'm also a bit of a hermit too. And I think I've always been that way. And so me as a child could just be satisfied with, you know, books, National Geographic books or picture books of different parts of the world. And I think there was always a part of me that liked the idea of seeing and experiencing beyond the backyard. But I didn't, I didn't focus my uh, 20s. Uh, I, usually, I say my 20s because I was just turned 32 when I started walking. So most of my 20s, it was still focused on really adulting well as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, sure. um, having having my own practice, wanting to seem professional and I've got my stuff together, you know, just, just survive and be able to pay the bills and, you know, and maybe if you're lucky, make six figures, you know, it's almost like it was, I still didn't realize I was quite on this hamster wheel of success, even though it was an entrepreneurial type of success. And so I think I didn't let myself explore the world in the ways that I wanted to. For most, for most of that. There was a little bit of risk taking. I think I've always been a risk taker, but never really with my life. <laughs> so let me give you a quick example. Yep. I fear open water. I have a thing. I don't know if I saw Jaws too early, which seems to be the case for many people. Thank you, Steven Spielberg. Um, but you know, it's this whole thing of not being able to see what's around you. So surely I spent most of my life avoiding lakes, oceans, things like that. And so I would never think of, oh, let's go jump in and face this fear and take that risk, you know? So I did kind of stay within those boundaries of what's comfortable. And the walk was kind of that call and that invitation to start taking a bit more risk. You know, for somebody starting this at 32, I mean, like you said, you were, you had a good amount of time to do the adulting, right? And then, and so it's not like you're going straight from, you know, teenage life into this world. I mean, you almost had to, like, you kind of started to build up this professional side and then you had to let go of that to go do this thing. Like, what was that like for you? Like the letting go of, you know, maybe I'm going to say what we were, condi- what Western culture we're, were conditioned to do. You kind of just let go of that and, and moved into this adventure. What was that like? Yeah. Well, that was one of the most challenging parts because for a few reasons. One is because my work, which was generally coaching women, they had become like my friends. And so in a sense, I was not only letting go of these, these people I had worked with for a year, sometimes two, you have established these good, solid relationships and a rapport with, but it was also letting go of the money. The way that I wanted to do this walk was that I wasn't going to YouTube it. I wasn't going to broadcast it. And so I could only use what I had saved up. And that left me with about $5 a day on average. And so with no income, I had to really choose wisely, you know, when I go spend something at the store to buy the noodles or the oatmeal or this or that. 
And so it was also just saying goodbye to a, a quote, a success that most of the world and especially the Western world sees is you've made it. Now, why would you go and destroy all of that? You work so hard through all, you know, a decade to build this up and then you literally are just going to let it go. It was kind of scary, but it was also pretty freeing. You know, it was also like, I think there's a chance I could be happy living on a lot less. And so there's a little bit of an experiment in doing that too. It's an experiment. I love it. Cause I was actually thinking in my mind, I want to ask you that question. Why would you do that? And I just heard it's an experiment. Yeah, it's an experiment. You know, I wanted to see if I could give back in some way, but what I found was a lot of it was the interchange, um, the experiences of the people I met along the way. How can I help you? Or if, you know, you invite me in your home, is there, can I chop wood for you? I wanted to kind of create a little bit of an economy in that way. So what I did do was I opened people up if they wanted to donate something, you know, a hot shower, a meal, if you want to give $5 or $10, and then I still gave half of that away to a nonprofit that I felt would, like was doing good work. So it just felt at least I, my walk became something that, sure, if I could get something made people feel good to give, I can also give back. Kind of trying to create something, a, some type of a flow, a tap open in a way. People approach adventure differently. I think like some people, for example, like let's say I decide I'm going to climb a mountain, right? That's a very intentional, like goal oriented type adventure where you're training for it. You know what the end destination is. You reach the peak of the mountain, you safely come back down and then you've completed your journey, right? I'm curious for you though, because I kind of suspect this was not necessarily about just reaching a mountain peak and saying I did it. How, to what extent was this sort of a goal versus just kind of a, let's see what happens. I'm, I'm just kind of curious where your mindset was when you set out on this. It, it's interesting because it was two things at once in the sense that there was a goal of finishing. Even though I said, I, look, as long as I, I'm leaving from my best friend's house in Oregon and I return on foot, what that looks like in between, I mean, I drew a whole line where I'm not missing a single country and it takes me exactly five years, you know, but the goal would be I'm going to finish, you know, even if it takes six or seven years. But I also wanted to dive completely into the unknown. Like mm -hmm. I really wanted the people and the places to shape the walk. But I found that ultimately while walking, if I set my mind on finishing, which is the goal, let's say the finish is almost like you reach the mountain peak. Right. It terrified me. <laughs> And often, oftentimes it was so far away. It would be like, guys still have like four years of walking. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to actually let go of the goal. I knew how I wanted to finish on foot, but what that looked like, it was actually a process of letting go of some kind of a form, uh, the, a structure that I put on it originally that I think a lot of us do on adventures, plans change, life happens, things shape differently to really like let that go. Look, we're on these, if we're on an adventure, which I'm giving air quotes to, because if we're on an adventure, isn't it truly to let the adventure take you on a journey so that we're not so stuck in how many miles we walk or ride a day and how far we get to that we really stop for the beautiful sunset. We stop and have tea with the Turkish couple outside their house, whatever the case is, Adventure is something different to everyone. 
for sure. And for me, it's definitely the in-between. It's the meat in the sandwich. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. Did you know that the members of my real estate team, W Realty Group, are listening to their own voices that call to adventure by setting big goals? Some of those goals include planning trips to Bali and the Kingdom of Bhutan, buying investment homes and running the Chicago Marathon. At W Realty Group, we support and encourage these big goals and wanna help turn them into reality. We're currently looking to add new members to the team. If you know a great real estate agent in the Charlotte, North Carolina area that would benefit from being part of our team, please send a text, an email, or give me a call. And know that when you support W Realty Group, you're also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. As we speak about like the goal and, and sort of what unfolded over the six and a half years. For listeners, could you just kind of take us through the physical journey. What did you cover? Kind of talk about, we talked about in the introduction, six and a half years, 14 countries, 20,000 miles. Can you kind of take us through that? Yeah. Well, so basically I left pretty close to the Oregon coast. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit, it's high desert inland, but I walked to Portland and then I flew myself to Australia where, because I wanted to do four continents, Australia was almost a last minute decision. I didn't do New Zealand. I, I, I did New Zealand much later, but I ended up doing Australia, which is interesting considering just how inexperienced I was. And I was diving into Western Australia <laughs> where dehydration and sunstroke just abound and limited water and things like that. Uh, so there goes the extremist. I decided to go into the most extreme conditions to get you know walking under my belt. And so I walked from Perth, which is kind of lower West Coast, Australia, up to Columbaroo, which is pretty, it's pretty parallel to Darwin. But I wanted to finish in an Aboriginal community. Then I went up to Vietnam. Uh, again, plans change. I was ready to walk across Southeast Asia. You got so many expats and people who cycle through there. It seemed like a no-brainer. But within 10 days of being there, I got dengue fever. It was a real culture shop going from the desert to a place where mopeds and cars and houses abound. It was quite challenging for me. And that's when I decided I'm just going to go where I want. It was the first time I really, quote, broke my line. I, the goal of how I thought I would do it, it was the first time it was stripped from me. You know, I was laying there with dengue fever going, I don't want to be here in Vietnam. Why am I here? Because I said I would be here because I, I, put a, I put it on a map with a marker. What am I doing to myself? You know, and that's when I decided to go up north. When I healed a little bit, I went up to Mongolia and I crossed Mongolia. I had some interesting experiences there, which we'll, we'll probably talk about and continued west, the, uh, Georgia, uh, the country, <laughs> Turkey, yep parts of Europe. And then I, I did parts of, I did Northern Scotland down to England. I went and hopped over to New Zealand to walk. And then eventually I finished across the States. So my home run was going uh, Washington DC to back to my best friend's place in Bend, Oregon. Yeah. That took about six and a half years. What was it like to finish in the U.S.? <laughs> yeah. I, sh I should know how to answer this every time now. <laughs> Here's what I will say. I liked being home for the comfort of many things. I mean, it's so great to pop into a CVS and grab something you know and that you want. I mean, the access to products and things that we love, and it amazes me. I mean, the 24-hour shops, I mean, it's just surreal. 
but it was also the most challenging for me, not because I was, it was familiar and I was home. I had the most challenges with being treated quite harshly with police and local people treated quite like a homeless person. It was very interesting. I hadn't noticed before just how easy it is for us to put on blinders. Right. And I think everyone experiences this to a certain degree. You're walking into a Walmart or you're leaving uh, a parking lot and you see that homeless person and maybe they've got a sign out and we all just don't look. Even sometimes it's because we see it so much, but it's just like, oh, gosh, don't look, don't look. And I noticed that quite happening quite often, um, more than I had noticed before uh, in the States. And I ran into some issues with police and all of a sudden I remembered, oh, everyone has a fence and everyone is like, stay off my property. It was challenging to find camping. So it was a very surreal experience. And I had, by the way, I had my 73-year-old mother on a trike with a chihuahua for a good (laughs) chunk of it. (laughs) So that also probably played an interesting part. Yeah, That's so wild. I have a couple of follow-up thoughts on that. You've taken six and a half years to traverse the entire world and seen different countries and seen different places. And, and actually one of the quick hits here is you said that you um, had some trouble with authorities in the United States and people not being accepting. And maybe that's probably surprising to people. Although when you start to think about it, maybe not so much, what were some of the places where you felt most accepted around the world? Quite honestly, a lot of them were like Turkey Uh, And Muslim places in particular, you know, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkey itself. I mean, that in its, I I thought was phenomenal. And especially the older generations, Mm. uh, especially the the older women would really, they'd have no idea what I was up to, didn't speak any English, and they would just be throwing fruit on, on my cart. And, and not let me pay them. Like, no, just, just take it, you know, from their own yard or like, you know, put coffee in a little, you know, uh, tomato paste can for on the go and stuff. It was quite amazing. But most, I would say most every place except for first world countries was where I felt the most accepted. So nothing wrong against, you know, right. Europe and the U.S. In fact, it was quite, quite welcoming being back home. Um, and I helped raise money for a nonprofit for a sh- girl's shelter. But, you know, just the feeling of being a woman on the road. Yeah, I'd say it was mostly the eastern parts of the world. What were the different feelings that your body had in different places? Where did you feel most comfortable? Where did you meet, feel most uncomfortable? And I think we kind of touched on that a little bit, but I would love to, to get into that. And I guess I will go back and set the premise here. In your TED talk and in a lot of different speeches and talks that you've given, you've said that you weren't necessarily out to do a walk. You weren't necessarily looking for adventure, but that you wanted to feel the world. And so I'm curious if you could just for us, like kind of share a little bit more about what that means to you. And then let's get into some of those feelings that you had. Well, I think it's so often that we, we say things like, I want to see the world. I want to, you know, I want to see the Eiffel Tower before I die or something, right? And with all the conveniences that are there in the world, we oftentimes don't get to experience the locality of the place, the um, the culture of the place. So there's a part of feeling that I that I mean 
uh, when I said I wanted to feel the world and that's still relevant for me now, is that I wanted to feel the people, their way of living, the culture. I wanted to walk past places and smell a woman cooking in her own kitchen. But there's also the sensation of the, the land itself. You know, so for example, something that surprised me was that on my walk, I found that as I walked into familiar places, like let's say I'm walking into Portland, Oregon, or, you know, walking through into Kansas City or things, it's like, oh, I know these things, or I have a friend here or whatever, that I have more of, um, I tend to steal myself a bit when I reach cities and towns and I can't feel as much of myself, as much mm -hmm. of like what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and I'm absorbing. There's that sensation. I'm, I'm in a uh, place, I'm just absorbing all these things and I want to protect myself. And as soon as I get out into a forest or into a desert, all of a sudden I can actually feel myself more fully through the land. There's mm -hmm. that connection there that is almost really ineffable for me. I mean, just recently walking through... Um, Uzbekistan, you know, the sun setting, I'm camping for the night, and I'm just sitting out on, on, on this flat part of the Kaiselkum Desert, and I feel like I'm hearing a song, and I start beating the ground, and I'm singing, and I'm thinking, ah, you know, I wonder if there's this ancient rhythm. It's kind of like, like a song, a tune of women having gathered that I'm picking up on. Mm -hmm. Who knows if that's the case? But it was pretty fun. <laughs> it's like I want to feel that. Whatever that is, it's it's a just a great experience that you couldn't have being back home, you know, sitting in my backyard. You know, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that the natural peace was where you felt yourself and you were able to feel the most. Yeah, yeah. That I could yeah, I could I could feel my own being the most when I when I am quiet in nature, which I think is why we all kind of many people long for being in nature and mm. kind of resting and rejuvenation, but there's the feeling of other people too. It's, I want to feel the world. I want to feel the family that has lived in this hut that their grandfather made by hand a hundred years ago. I want to feel the struggles and the pain of certain areas I'm walking through because it's, it's, poverty like we've not seen. I also want to feel the success of being, you know, in Italy and you're walking past these mansions and what that feels like, like just feeling and, and almost in a sense, learning to be a better listener as much as it is also um, being a part of it all through a vicarious experience. Your story, there, there could be a Netflix series with multiple episodes and multiple seasons. And, you know, there's so much that you've experienced. So there's only, you know, we're, we're only scratching the surface here. Like, for example, you talked about your time in Australia and you wrote about that in Wilder Journeys. And it's incredible. It talked about, you know, your ability to learn to trust your intuition and in navigating. Highly recommend people get a copy of Wilder Journeys your portion of that book is fantastic. That's just one of the stories on this trip. There's so many more stories. I want to get into your experience in Mongolia as one of the stories that happened to you, but a very impactful piece and just, you know, explore that a little bit. So for listeners, um, this is something that you talk about in your TEDx talk. So people can check out your TEDx talk to get some more. Would you mind sharing what happened in Mongolia? Yeah, as you said, I gave a TEDx talk about it because what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about 
not just what happened in Mongolia, which was a physical attack. So it was me in my tent at night. Uh, I'd been walking for about three weeks or so, and a Mongolian nomad came into my tent for rape. Okay, so just being clear what had happened. Now, the thing is, I don't share the story because, oh my gosh, look women, see, the world is dangerous. In fact, if anything, what I found was, you know, I was, I had just walked Australia and so, and I had just had that little bit of time in Vietnam. So ultimately I was just a year into my walk. I was still an adventure baby. I, I still had the whole rest of the world, you know, ahead and years to go. But when this happened and it was, it's every girl's nightmare and you're a father. So I know it's, you know, it's, it's your worst nightmare for your, your daughters that, but here's the challenge. And the reason that I like to actually talk about these things, it happened in a tent in Mongolia, but it can happen in a parking lot. It can happen at a college party. It can happen anywhere. And it's not because I went walking around the world or that we take risks or go on adventures alone that it's putting us in danger. These things can happen anywhere, but it's a, it's how can we be prepared? So we don't want to be not aware of our situation and what could happen. I knew this could happen when I started walking, but also one of the most important things is how can we move past it when horrible things happen in our life? And that's why I called this talk courage is a verb. So when I was attacked in my tent in the middle of the night, the, the nomad had left and now I'm just there and it's dead silent. No crickets, no nothing. It's just like, what am I going to do? My worst nightmare just happened. So I pack all my stuff up. I go find a little kind of looks like a little ravine, like a, just a little divot in the, in the ground. And I just shove all my gear in myself and I sit there and I've got hours till the sun is going to rise. This is the most pivotal moment in my life, right? How can I make a choice to about how I'm going to respond to this? And it was in that moment that I used other women's stories to encourage me to keep walking. Other women who had also said, hey, I was attacked or hey, I had this horrible experience. I lost a leg. I was enslaved, whatever the case. They said, I went through this and here's how I got through it. And that's when I'm, why I'm so inspired to talk about it because I do believe courage is a choice and it's a muscle in a sense that we have to practice. And that's why I do think taking a risk is important in our lives to stretch us and help us grow. It was really powerful in your TED talk kind of talking about those moments after when you started thinking about women that you'd met and their experiences and you kind of, it seemed at least from my perspective that you felt yourself kind of transition from somebody that had heard their stories and listened to their stories to sort of becoming one of them and mm -hmm. then feeling uh, almost, almost an obligation and duty sense of responsibility to, to press forward. I just, I wonder if you could just talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I love the way that you that you say that. Um, it was very much that in the sense that a lot of these stories that were coming up in my head sitting in that ravine, they were pretty just horrible stories, things that we'd never want ourselves or our daughters or our mothers or anyone to go through. 
But all of those stories were told in a way that they had found how to thrive. And before I started my walk, I always saw them at that aspect of being courageous, them choosing how to thrive and be happy after such horrendous experiences. I saw them as superhuman. I saw them as something other than me because, oh, I could never do that. I could never get through that. You just lived through something horrific and here you are. You must be superwoman. And th- and then it was like, no, no, this is, we're all just ordinary people trying to choose an extraordinary reaction or action in the world. And um and so it was in that moment I realized, wait, if I if I could choose this, if I can get through this and it's going to be terrifying, if I can keep walking, then I'm choosing to be courageous the way the women I've admired have chosen. That was a really big impetus to help me keep going. Yeah, and so in the TED Talk, there was something that really jumped out at me. You said you chose courage as a verb and that you would keep walking. But then you said, I'll keep walking towards forgiveness, joy, humor, trust, and love. I heard it loud and clear. And I'm just curious. I mean, you know, after experiencing such a horrific event to pretty quickly make that choice to walk towards forgiveness, joy, humor, trust, and love. I'm curious if you could touch on actually each of those words, maybe just really quickly. What do those words in in that moment, in that time mean to you? How do you walk towards those things after such a horrific thing has taken place? Let me at least just touch on forgiveness because to me, that's the guiding light for the rest of them. And it it can be a little bit of the most challenging thing for me to talk about um, only in the sense that while the attack was happening in Mongolia, it was in the midst of the attack that I had actually chosen. This is happening. I can't physically get out of this. I'm going to forgive you and myself. I'm going to forgive right here and right now. And then after sitting in the ravine, I'm going to choose forgiveness because I know that right now, if I can, if I attach my emotion to this memory, I am going to forever have a wound that could take a lifetime to let go of. So I'm going to choose forgiveness. And there was a moment, and this might be a bit intense here, but there was a moment when it was happening that I looked my attacker in the eyes and in my mind, I'm saying, I forgive you. And even I love you. Okay. And this is, this was some of the tools I had from the work I did previously to try and bring in and say, look, I could choose forgiveness a year from now. After I've talked about this and I process with my friends and a therapist, I could choose forgiveness 10 years from now or right this very moment as it's happening. Can I choose forgiveness? but I'm going to have to choose it again tomorrow. I'm going to have to choose it again the next day. I'm going to choose it in the next day because it's not like anything's going to be done. It's going to be work. If I could forgive that person, if if I'm sitting in that ravine and I forgave that man and I forgive myself for any wrongdoings I thought I did, because as you know, a lot of people think, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. Forgive, forgive. Now I can move into hope that I can get through this and keep walking. Then I can even find the joy because the sun's gonna rise and it's gonna be beautiful. Can I focus on that? And then as I keep going, can I trust myself 
to make the decisions to, for example, find the right camp spot that even though my mind wants to tell me, see, can you trust your intuition? Because that's where you camped and that's where something bad happened. No, I do trust myself. I trust in how I'm going about this. I trust in my ability to be more prepared. I trust in my ability to forgive tomorrow. I trust in my ability to keep finding the joy and the hope. And if I can get through all of that, and I choose those things every day, not to say I'm great at it all the time, it's a practice, that leads me to the ultimate space of love, unconditional love to myself and other people, as I, especially as I continue my life, meeting people, whether I'm walking or driving or swimming. <laughs> You're amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for the vulnerable sharing. I know that people have already been inspired by your story, but just your sharing today mm. is amazing. Angela, one of the words you used, forgiveness, joy, humor, trust, and love, humor. <laughs> well, that's, don't you think that's something we choose too? Like, yeah, humor, I think is something that we choose. I mean, all of these things are, are things that we choose, but you can choose to find something funny or not, or to react to it or let yourself laugh. I mean, how many times are we all stressed? And then we're like, you know, normally I would find that funny or that's my favorite movie, but I just can't. I'm just so stressed. I'm just so consumed, you know, with something. But humor, humor brings me out every time. I, and I have to say, though, even to the point, Scott, that I think I'm one of those people that like give jokes at the worst times. <laughs> like I want to use humor to make everything better. And I'm like, oh, did you not find that funny? Because I, sorry, bad timing. All right. I just thought humor would relieve the situation. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's important to choose humor because it always makes us feel better. You can't laugh without a smile. It's very true. I mean, just in, in this moment right now, we just went from a very heavy topic to both of us smiling. And you, and <laughs> you, you did go. that. Yeah. You did that. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I'd like to say you were good. You led that one. You led us into that. That was good. But that's how life can be, even with yeah. some of the most intense situations. Yeah. Well, Angela, you've talked about being somebody that doesn't do moderation, somebody that goes all in, somebody that's an extremist. And you've talked about being forced to face down your greatest fears. And then one of them manifests and it comes into reality. It, it, it seems to me that you've taken a worst case scenario and used it for both growth and inspiration. I guess I just wonder if you could talk about that for a minute. I mean, I think it's a, that's almost like really good feedback of, of what you're seeing. I mean, of course, that would be my ultimate goal is the ability to take these situations that are quite horrendous and be able to use that in a way that I can, you know, grow because there's something around the ability to choose what we focus on. So I, in some way, I want to make sure I'm, to be clear, I'm not saying it's easy for us to choose an emotion when we're sad or we're pissed off or whatever. Like we just, sometimes you just need to be in it, but I do believe there's a power in at least knowing we have another option and how can we get there? And so for example, the, the stories, you know, sitting in the ravine, having these women's stories, is something that helped me kept walking. However, it probably took quite a while before I could laugh again. And I actually will very briefly tell you, I do remember the moment that I was able to have a little giggle after the incident. And it was probably a good two weeks later, I'm, I'm walking along and here comes another uh, 
Mongolian nomad. He's a man. And I, I'm, you know, at that point, just didn't know who was who. And I just kind of had to just put an arm's length with all of them and yeah. was still like having a hard time trusting a, a male nomad there. And, and he comes up and he's on, he's on a horse and he's just riding alongside me, looking at me. And, and this was just oftentimes people who travel, I think a lot in the East find there's a lot of people just interested that like, what is that thing? What's this tent like? Oh, what are you cooking on? It is absolute just sheer, like childish um, and, and exploratory curiosity that they have, you know? And he's walking, he, he's riding his horse. And I just think just, oh God, just leave me alone already. I'm just still trying to get through the day. It's windy and it's just like, God, I hope I really made the right decision. I can do this. I hope he's not going to do something weird. And I'm stealing myself prepared if I have to like fight, you know? And he runs on his horse a few feet in front of me, turns around and faces me before riding off. And he sticks his arm out like a muscle woman, pats it and points at me like, you got this, you tough girl. And he rides off into the sunset. <laughs> and it was so cinematic that I just started laughing. And I was like, thank you to whoever, whatever spirit I needed that. Thank you. And it made me laugh out loud. And that began that journey. Humor is going to help heal. Yeah. I love that so much. So Angela, I mean, six and a half years, you had all kinds of experiences. We just, we spoke about one, obviously that was hugely impactful. I want to ask you in this walking towards joy, humor, trust, love, could you share maybe one or two experiences that really exemplify that, the joy, the love, the, the humor, the fun, the richness, the awe? Well, it's true that there are probably quite a few of those that I can think of, but I, I have to say, I think what comes up the most for me, just because my mother and I have been on our own kind of healing journey is that my mom came to join me for the first time and we did uh, part of Scotland down through England and she hadn't ridden a bike in 25, 30 years. She just turned 70 and she says to me, I'm going to come join you. It wasn't even a question. Now, I don't know how people feel about their, their relationship with their parents. We love them. We're happy that we're adults and we no longer live with them. And, and my mom and I get along and we have a lot of humor and stuff, but I usually say you know, it's like that, you know, three day mark before you start kind of bickering and things like that. <laughs> so I feel like I was not looking forward to having my mom on board. I, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to like take care of her. This is going to be so challenging, but you know, we were in England, at least my mom wouldn't be flustered with language issues or cultural differences. And yet what I found was my mom brought humor to the table. My mom was reaching out to people. She'd come up on her bike and say, honey, I just got us a place to sleep or, Hey, we're going to go up to this pub. And she, I, I arrive cause she's faster than I am on a bike. And yeah. she's now met the whole community that's playing cards and she's playing cards with them and they're inviting us over for dinner. And, and so it was interesting because through having my mother, which I felt like was one of the most challenging things I could possibly think about someone to join me on the road is my mom. And yet she was reaching out to the world through humor and curiosity and engagement. And I think it opened me up even more because I think for a good period of time after the experience, I still had to focus on how do I 
how do I um, not uh, protect myself? Yes, but also, um, you know, how do I have a plan? How do I have an emergency and an escape plan? And how do I do all these things that are are serious? You know, because I can't. You can't be stuck in the same situation. I got a plan now, and it opened me up. And then, therefore, as I continued walking around the world on my own after she went home, that really helped to continue that process. And I think at that point, almost everywhere, it felt like there was some point of humor and joy. And it's finding the, the little things. Yeah. So uh, since you took those first steps, you made that decision to do this walk around the world, six and a half years, so much has happened. And, and it's not just the walk itself, because... Now you've had the chance to tell your story. You've met some incredible people that you've aligned yourself with. You're doing even more things now. Like you have gone all in and you continue to go all in. And I'm just curious, like if you were to go back to when you first started, if you like knew back then how this would all unfold, like did you have any idea what things would look like for you today back then? Not at all. And I think I really thrive in that situation. I love not knowing. I think that's, it, it, it's um, this part of how I enjoy living that I think even if I know, like if someone said, I can show you what your life will look like in five years, I think I'd, I would feel sad. Like I'd be like, oh, I mean, it might be great, but now it's just five years of knowing whatever happens, it's not going to be as good or it's only building up to this thing. I like not knowing that really stepping into that unknown place. And I don't think I do anything different. I don't think I would have gone to a different country and walked it or tried something different or changed some way of doing it, even with the bad um, situ or the, the challenging situations or any of the good ones. I would probably do it all over again, every bit of it the same way. What are some things that have like come into your life or manifested for you that you just never could have anticipated that are kind of in your world now? Yeah. Well, first off would be new lifelong friends. Uh, one of them is, a, a, well, a few of them are authors uh, in Wilder Journeys, but one of them is um, Jennifer Brisk. And she wrote a story in Wilder Journeys about leaving the opera world. And, uh, and nature was something that healed her around that. But I met her while walking through Italy and there was a big storm coming through and she was wanting someone to help build a garden in her little villa. We find each other online. Next thing I think I'm going to take a weekend break. And I was there for two months. And now I'm the godmother of her daughter. Like, it's just those kind of things. Meeting meeting my friend Carl, who is also walking around the world. And now we've done a few expeditions together and one in the future. And I think the other thing I didn't expect, too, is um, that this has become a lifestyle. I really kind of thought, look, I might walk for five or six years. I'll finish. And then I'll get back to adulting. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up my business. I'll kind of do what I know I'm good at. I didn't expect that this has become a lifestyle, living on less and, and planning these long walks and these adventures. I, I definitely, for some reason, didn't see that <laughs> being a possibility. Yeah. So I do want to touch real quick. You did try to go back for a little while. Uh, I did. I did try to go back. I finished the walk and... I was a little bit elated only because I hadn't seen my best friend. She was she had um, a young son, so she wasn't able to just pop off to parts of the world and come meet me. And I arrived, finished. Um, and again, I didn't film any of this. I wasn't interested. So I'm I'm walking that last day, and I'm passing the coffee shop. I remember planning the walk in, 
and surprise the business is still going. But, you know, I'm just walking past all these places. I stop in to get a beer at the fav my favorite little brewery in town. And then I go to the little convenience shop near her house and I pick up a pizza and a bottle of champagne. And I walk right up the hill and around the corner where she's come outside to meet me. And we quietly kiss, hug, ah, and then have a nice relaxed night like we hadn't been separated for six and a half years. But I tried my best for a good almost two years. I was working in an office, which was a friend's office, and it was a, um, a ketamine and TMS therapy center. So it was it was work that I felt I could I could yeah. do. But I was in an office. So there, <laughs> spoiler alert, you walk around the world, you've left that world behind, but then you're broke and you say, okay, uh, I got to make money. I've got to figure some things out, take care of myself. And I really, I really did struggle. You hear, you probably hear this often, don't you from other people, they go off on walks, even just for a couple months, they come back and it's hard to adjust back to that life. Yeah. It's hard to come back from a two week vacation, let alone six and a half years. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So felt like I gave it a good go. I even bought a car so I could get around. I could go to work. I could do that. And then I, yeah, then I said, I, I think I need to connect again. I need to go out for a walk. And that's when I went and did Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. So Angela, what's next for you? Well, because I'm an extremist, uh, I, <laughs> I'm joining my friend Carl, where we are attempting to swim across the Caspian Sea. So we'll be going east to west. So that is you know, Kazakhstan to Azerbaijan. It's going to take about 30 days, swimming about six hours a day. So just to note, my first failing grade was in physical education. Uh, <laughs> I don't do many sports. I have not a competitive bone in my body. But as part of my friend Carl's walk, he has to, he's doing one of those adventures where it has to be powered just by him you know okay. and so he he's stuck in this location and as a joke uh i said well why don't we swim across the caspian realizing there's no other option we decided okay we're going to swim across the caspian neither of us are swimmers but now um we're in training and getting a boat support so hopefully in august of this year I will successfully swim across the Caspian. Fingers crossed, everybody. <laughs> Amazing. That's going to be another conversation for us to have. Angela, how can people find out more about you, kind of follow what you're doing, and even help with the work that you're doing? The best, I think, really is just my website, shewalkstheearth.com. As we said, like I'm not really big on social media, but I'm sometimes on Instagram. You can reach me there. But also on uh, my website, the email goes right to me. There's no team. It's just reaching out. So if anyone has questions or just wants to send a little message, they can do it through the website. So I'm curious for people that are listening that are inspired by you, and I know that that's going to be many, uh, and it already is many, um, people that have felt that call to adventure, but often you know, are concerned about the danger that lurks out there. What advice do you have for those people? I would say first off is there is the reality is that there's always danger somewhere. If you can mentally get past the fact that just by going walking in the woods versus going walking in your park or something is going to be drastically different in danger, know that it's always there. 
And I think it's important to say because it, it's not just get out there and just, you know, suck it up and try, you know, yeah. I want I want people to know as a woman in general, we are more at risk or we could say more physically vulnerable. However, you can learn things. Look, I generally, when the attack happened in Mongolia, I didn't have a thing. I had a hammer. I didn't have pepper spray. I didn't have those things, a taser. I just really, it wasn't in my sphere of, of awareness. So what I say is like, know that anywhere you are, if you can build your confidence to have a plan to do something in worst case scenarios, then that everything else around that, where you want to go, what part of the world you want to see, who you want to go visit and experience, that all starts to open in, in your, in your vision. You have, you literally have the whole world to you when you realize it's okay. I can just have a plan, you know, of if, if something were to go wrong, I have this, this plan and then I can go and do what I want. And so it's really about building that trust with ourselves in where we're called to go. And that's the other aspect too, is whatever it is, I hope it's just a little bit crazy. I hope it's just a little bit wild. I hope it's just a little bit enough for your mom or your sister or your daughter or your friend to say, really? Like, that's what you want to do? I promise you that is that is the sign for you to go do it. So there's there's so much out there for everyone if they listen to that calling, which it will be different for everyone. What does it mean to feel called? You'll know because you're excited and you're terrified. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that happened to you. And then mom decided to come along for the journey. <laughs> no joke. The day I told my mom that I was going to walk around the world, she did like any re decent mother. She was like on her knees begging me not to go. It was the worst possible idea. And then she became my greatest fan. She couldn't go to the barbershop without talking about it. And next thing we know, she has traveled Scotland and England, parts of France with me, and even almost all the way across the States. You never, yes, you never know. So Angela, your story is epic. And Hollywood's going to pick up on it at some point. And Hollywood's <laughs> going to want to make a movie about you. No. <laughs> I want to know when they do, who's going to be the Hollywood actress that's going to play you in your movie? Right. Well, I once had my friend Pema say to me, you know, if if Hollywood ever makes a movie about your life, she thinks that uh, Saoirse Ronan should play me. Nice. So I'm nice. just going to stick with what she said because I can't, I couldn't possibly come up with someone. Okay. Very good. And what is your movie going to be called? I think I probably just go with what I would think a book would be called or anything, which is just She Walks the Earth. She Walks the Earth. I love this so much. Thank you so much for what you've done to inspire the world to listen to the voice inside us that calls to adventure. You have done that so beautifully. I really, really appreciate the time that you've spent with us today. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Angela's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. 
Angela, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Scott. And thank you to the listeners. <laughs>